Amen. Thank you, Susan. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, as always, I want to share words of gratitude and thanks to people who are leading us in ministry this morning, our worship team, of course, and leading us in beautiful music of praise. I want to thank the folks who are leading in our youth ministries and our children's ministries, the folks in adult discipleship. I always thank the technology team, uh, but the first thing I want to do is apologize to the technology team. My microphone had come unplugged in my pocket during the baptism, and I guarantee their hair was on fire up there in the studio trying to figure out why my mic wasn't working. So that was an own goal. I apologize, everybody. Uh, but also speaking of our technology team, they have a gift that I would like to tell you about, a gift for the entire congregation and well beyond our congregation. I never bring my cell phone up during when I'm preaching because I don't want to be on America's Funniest Home Videos with some mishap. But I want to draw your attention to something. If you have your phone with you, I want to invite you to take it out. Whether you have an Android device or an Apple device, if you go to the App Store and you search My FUMC, we have a new app that makes streaming and participating in the life of our church so much easier. Of course, you've been able to do that through our website browser for a very long time, but you'll find via the My FUMC app, your ability to engage is much more streamlined. It's a more reliable stream. There'll be fewer technological issues. One of the things that is great about using the app to engage with our church being via video is it's very easy to cast it from your device up onto the television screen. So all of the Mattress Methodists who are worshiping with us from home all around the world today, that's funny, right? It's so much easier to do. And in fact, if you have an Apple TV or a Roku device, you can download the app right to one of those devices as well. And it's not just for live worship and for recordings of sermons and music. We also have special uh, content that's already been recorded and uploaded onto the app. One of the things that I really enjoy is a line-by-line -line Bible study through the Gospel of Mark that I've already recorded. And so you've never, if you've never been able to attend a Bible study with me, I've gone through the entire Gospel of Mark line-by-line -line, with commentary and discussion and points for reflection. So I would invite you to listen to that on your headphones as you're walking the dog or doing the dishes or maybe taking a break from work. It's a way for you to stay involved in your life of faith and in your church no matter where you are. And I specifically say, want to say a word of gratitude to the members of our church who have come before us. Our church has a long history of using technology in groundbreaking ways to reach new people. We were the first church in the state of Texas to ever broadcast a religious service on the radio. Of course, we use television for decades and decades, one of the first churches on the internet, and this has been provided for by members of our church who gave special endowments to support the use of technology in worship for decades to come. So op things like creating a new app doesn't come out of the normal operating budget of the church. And I guarantee you, the people that gave these gifts never once considered cell phones and streaming to your mobile device on your flat screen, but their long-sighted gifts have made things like that possible. So praise God. Please use that to share it with people. Uh, it's a very easy way for you to engage with your friends and family who don't yet have a church home or are struggling to connect with our church. Uh, and we, we, know, we specifically called it My FUMC, and not just My FUMC Fort Worth, because we're seeing that our digital ministries are reaching a lot of people who are outside of just the Fort Worth or Tarrant County area. So I'm so thankful for that technology tool. It's a great way of continuing to connect and engage both people who are looking for a church home and people who don't yet know the good news of Jesus. And so I'm very thankful for that. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. I get my microphone right about 90% of the time. And I'm so thankful to get to offer to uh, expand on this scripture and, and share what's happening 
happened in my own life as I've been reflecting on it. I was thinking about the scripture reading this week, and there's some Hall of Fame Bible verses in there. There's judge not lest ye be judged. There's the speck and the log verse in it. There's the golden rule in it, of course. There's pearls before swine. There's all these really key texts that are used over and over again in exceptionally powerful sermons and messages. And as I was reflecting on the scripture, it made me think about a dynamic that happens in my own family at my own home. So, I've got a number of kids, like I share with you, very regularly, and like any family, we have rules. My children would tell you a completely unreasonable amount of rules in our home, and we specifically have rules around things like tablets and technology and when they can be used and when they can't be used and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Any of you have rules around tablets and technology, where they can go, where they can't go, when it's appropriate, when it's not. Our our kids are different ages. The oldest is at the end of elementary school. The youngest is still in preschool. And our older kids have done a good job of figuring out these rules. They abide by those rules. They get them, but they didn't always. When they were younger, they got those rules wrong a lot. They needed a lot of grace and forgiveness and teaching to take place, not just punishment or anger. But something's happened in their life. Now that they have understood the rules, now that they know when is and is not the right time to use the technology, they have appointed themselves sheriff of the tablets. (laughs) And they are now on the lookout for any lawbreakers in the house. And as soon as they see someone who's breaking a rule, they're ready to lay down the law to their younger siblings. And I have never, ever once said, I am so thankful for you for creating this circular firing squad situation. Because that's what happens, right? When the older kid tells the younger kid all the stuff that they're doing wrong, all the rules that they're breaking, does the younger kid ever say, thank you? I appreciate that. No. Instead, it becomes this whole thing. And what I would love to say to the older kids is what you may not realize is when you were that age and when you were at that place of maturity, you needed a lot of grace and a lot of teaching and a lot of patience, and you are not yet mature enough, even though you understand the rules, to show that same grace and maturity and patience to those who need it. And in fact, I keep telling them, why are you even taking this responsibility upon yourself in the first place? Who made you the boss? Who made you the police? Who made you the parent? You're the kid. Just be the kid. I've never seen the four-year-old breaking the rules with the tablet and said, you know who needs to fix this? The second grader. (laughs) No. Just love being the kid. That's not your problem. Just accept that you've got it and you figured it out and let me be the parent. And they said, thank you, Dad. You're so wise. And we're so lucky. (laughs) And I said, you're welcome. (laughs) Thinking about that scripture reading, I'm thinking about that situation in my home as I think about that scripture reading. Everything that's in the Bible, particularly when it's Jesus talking to an audience, is a real conversation that happened with a real person in a real place. It's not free of all of that context. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for the last few weeks, and that's a real speech from a real person that happened with real people in a real place. 
If I can give a quick plug real quick, some of you may have heard, I'm gonna be leading a trip of our church to the Holy Land in January of next year. I went 13 years ago and it's been incredibly foundational in my faith and one of the places we're gonna go is to the mount, the hill on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus actually gave this message. We're gonna read that scripture and hear it as they heard it. If you're one of the people who wants to find out more about it and the on-ramp, they'll have some brochures and we'll have an information session. And I just, I bring it up to say, this is a real conversation in a real place to real people in which you can actually go. And when Jesus is looking out over those people, he sees them. He sees them and what they're going through. He's not just giving these words and these directions that are entirely free of context. He's speaking to a particular people and the issues that they're going through. At this point, the people that have surrounded them are probably all Jewish. But their religion is not a source of unanimity and peace between all of them. There's fights in and throughout their communities of faith about righteousness and faithfulness and the right way to live in relationship with God and how to follow the rules. And that's created disagreements and pain and stress and all of those disagreements are made worse by the fact that there's so much tension in their community over economic issues and military issues and political issues all brought about by the fact that they've been overrun by a foreign army. They're suffering in that place. In the midst of that too, those same people are the inheritors of hundreds of years of wisdom and gifts that have been handed down to them through their ancestors and the sacred scriptures that teach them at great length how to connect with God through these particular ways of worship and supplication and sacrifice so that they may be able to experience God's grace for themselves. Prophets have spoken to them throughout generations so that they might better understand and know and over and over again that beautiful inheritance and the system of what it is to live in right relationship with God has been profaned as it's come into contact with systems of power and oppression and the people who are responsible for stewarding the, uh, the spiritual life of the community have instead let it be tainted by systems of power and coercion. In the midst of that community of people that are there at his feet on the side of the hill, there would be a nagging doubt that God is even real. You talk about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Joseph and our ancestors, they might very reasonably think. You might think of the sun standing still, but did it really? You might think of the seas parting, but did they really? You might think of our people being sustained by God and God's presence for 40 years in the wilderness, but did that even really happen? Of course they would think that. They would have this nagging doubt that even though it is proclaimed that God is present and God is at work and that God loves them and that God would never forsake them, any reasonable person in that crowd would surely be looking around and going, I'm not so sure that I see it. And I'm definitely sure that this is not what the world would look like if I was in charge, they would say. And in the midst of all of that, 
They would have this understanding of what it is to follow and live in relationship with God that was ultimately based on following rules. But the rules and the expansions on the rules and the rules about the expansions on the rules and the local interpretation that differs from this local interpretation would ultimately mean at the end of the day you were worth feeling nothing but incomplete and insecure and uncertain and unanxious because no amount of rules has ever made someone feel loved. And that's what they would be feeling. That's what they bring with them to the mount. So what does Jesus say to them? How does he feel towards them? How he feels toward them is compassionate and full of grace. How he feels toward them is seeing them carrying a burden and a mantle upon their shoulders they were never meant to carry. And he's come to help relieve that weight to the community that's in the midst of all of those anxieties over their differences and understandings of what righteousness and faithfulness looks like and who are having the temperature raised by the very real suffering and incompleteness of the world around them, he would say to them, all of those difficulties and trials and tribulations are real, but they are insignificant and temporary in comparison to my complete and total love for you. Those things do hurt, but this heals he would say. And to the people who have experienced what it was to have the treasure of the possession of the prophecies and the ways of worship that were given to them, ultimately thrown and profaned by the things of which were unworthy of them, he says to them, you're never judged exclusively by you at your worst. And you're never beyond redemption and you're never beyond saving. To the community of people who would wonder, is God even real? Is God even present? Is God even at work? Does God really love? Does God really not forsake? Does God really redeem? Is God really something that I can come to know? He says, look at me and ask and look and open the door and receive the grace of God that is right here in front of you for you. No extra elements added to it. It is right here. And it's a community that struggled over and over and over again under the weight of rules and regulations and stipulations that make them feel insecure and insignificant. What he says is love God with all you have, love your neighbor as the rest, and receive the promise of my presence here today. That's it. And remove from yourself these burdens of misunderstanding that are weighing you down over and over and over again. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for weeks now. And a theme throughout these messages that Jesus keeps giving to this crowd is one, making sure that they're all included. Making sure that everyone understands that everyone belongs. Just because you're special or just because you're successful or just because you're succeeding doesn't mean that this is for you. And if you are not, if you are downtrodden, if you are despairing, if you are hurting, know that you are specially included in this life-changing message. And to the people that are hearing this, he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Stop being so sick on your own ego, in your own pride, in your own belief that you've got this all figured it out. Humble yourself to really listen about the way that the world really is so that you can really receive the real grace that is finally right here. Humble yourself to actually hear this because this will change 
everything. That's what he says to them 2,000 years ago on the side of that hill, the highest hill on the outside of the Sea of Galilee in the northern area of what we now call Israel. So what would he say to us? What would he say to us today if he was standing on the side of the tallest mountain in Fort Worth? Okay, maybe we're all on the 50-yard line of the Amon Carter, and he's on the 15th row. What would he say to us? Because he would really see us. He would really actually see us and your coworkers and your neighbors, your extended family members. He would actually see your real hurts. He would actually see your real pains, not just individually, but as a community. He would see a community that is in deep disagreement over issues like fairness and justice and righteousness and holiness and goodness. And he would see a community, though, that's taken those disagreements, which, by the way, have existed for all of human history, and he would see in us a community that is moved beyond just disagreeing with each other, but to condemning each other to declaring the people with whom we disagree who see the world differently as evil, as untrustworthy, as unworthy of being our neighbors or our coworkers or our teachers or our students. He would see all of that taking place in the midst of a community with the tensions made worse by a social fabric that's fraying. He would see in us people who've never been less connected to their families or to their neighbors or to their communities. A world in which people communicate more easily and more quickly than they ever have in the history of the entire world, but a people who also just can't listen. He would see in us a people who have inherited the strongest and the wealthiest and the most powerful society on the face of the planet. And people who have also ignored for far too long the fact that one in four children in our own community, go to bed every single night with no knowledge of where their next meal will come. And while this community will move heaven and earth to try to make sure we can do anything we can to make sure those kids have food, we will ostracize and exclude and kick out anyone who dares ask the question, why are all these kids so hungry again? You would also see to us a society that divides people into winners and losers and yet the people who win will be quick to tell you there's no fulfillment there. There's no actual peace there. There's certainly no healing. He would see a community of Christians gathered there on the field in front of him. And he would see a community that's so anxious, that's so worried, that's so scared about things like a changing society in declining institutions, that they would take that energy and that worry and the anxiety and like the people who've come for thousands of years before us, take that focus and devote it to tearing each other apart over issues of doctrine about things he never ever spoke instead of pouring all of our energy and our life and our prayers to faithfully following the things about which he spoke over and over and over again. And he would see a society 
that has told its young ones, for you, satisfaction and happiness is going to be found in achievement, in success, in titles, fame, and esteem. What we've actually done is create the world's most effective framework to ensure that those young children grow up into lives of ennui, despair, depression, and deaths of anguish and meaninglessness. And would he condemn us? And would he just judge us? Would he, the one who actually has that authority, do that to us in that place with his words? Or would he stand and look at this people in front of him, us, and say the real solution to your differences, the real way forward past these disagreements, and your over and over again tendency to tear each other down and to condemn and to call evil is to first just recognize the grace that you needed. Why did you take upon yourselves this burden of being the police, of being the judge, of being the parent? You're the child. Recognize how badly you need healing. Recognize how badly you need hope. Recognize how badly you need love. And then, after focusing on receiving that healing to all of your hurts, you can then turn to your neighbor and help them. Not exclude them. And then to community of people who've inherited a system that's done so much for so many and is leaving so many behind, he would tell us just because you've inherited a system like that does not mean you have to leave it that way. Because there is nothing beyond restoration and there is nothing beyond redemption and there's nothing beyond fixing and you have everything you need to do it. Just follow me, he'd say. And to the Christian community, that is just tearing itself apart. He would say, did you forget whose church this really is? Did you try to put my body back in that tomb? Did you forget that I promised that this is done? That death has lost? That I have won and I won't stop until the world is exactly as the Father would be? Why are you worrying? Why don't you ask? Why don't you seek? Why don't you knock and receive the good news of what I'm doing here right now? And so full of that love and that grace, why don't you go share it with the world around you instead of tearing down the ones who agree with you on 99.9% .9 of everything? I slipped into a Texas accent there, but I think that's what he would say. <laughs> and to the community of faith, into the world, into the society that's gotten so drunk on achievement and success and thinking that ultimately this number of followers or this number in the bank account or this neighborhood or this zip code will heal the hole in my heart. He says, humble yourself and receive the good news and the real promise and the truth that your life well lived is defined by how you love God and how you treat everybody else. And that's the truth. And it always has been. So stop chasing those empty idols and receive the one who's right here in front of you and always will be, no matter how lost you get.
Jesus is speaking to a worried community in that scripture who have taken upon themselves so many roles and responsibilities and so many burdens they never should have had to carry. And people who are groaning under the weight of expectations that have nothing to do with the God who loves them. A community of people who all they need to do is open their eyes and see the grace and the truth that is right there in front of them. And that's exactly who he's talking to in this room too. Take that burden off. Take that worry off. Let it go. Receive the healing and the grace and the love of Christ that is at work in your life every single day and so healed. Help your brother and sister. Christ loves you. Christ is at work in you. Christ sees you. And Christ is with all of you as you go out to be his people in this world. May it be so. Let us pray. Great and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great are you and greatly to be praised. Lord Jesus always sees real people, real people struggling under burdens they were not meant to carry, responsibilities that were never theirs to bear, people who have inherited systems that leave others behind, people who have come to doubt the goodness of your presence and your grace, people who live in societies that send them down cul-de-sacs that lead to nothingness. And in that place and in this place, O oh Lord, you speak your word of love and truth and hope. So Lord, let us humble ourselves to open our hearts to receive your grace and your good news of Christ's love anew today. And it is standing on the promises of Christ our Savior that together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.